Now here's those boyhood friends, Ron and Dave. I mean, Ron and Delbert. I'm just kidding. Here's Ronna and Donna. <laughs> hey, you guys, what's going on? It's episode number 106 of the Ron and Don Show. He's Ron. He's live from the shores of South Lake Union in the Les Schwab Studios. My name's Don O'Neill, and I am live from the shores of Queen and Mountain. Also in the Les Schwab Studios. Hey, coming up on the Ron and Don Show, what would it be like to be in a tuna boat and you're out catching tuna and you turn off your radio, turn off the TV, and you're like, you know what? We're just going to be present with these fish because we keep hearing how important it is to be present with each other. So you're out, you're fishing, you're present with the fish. Next thing you know, you come back, you pull up here in Seattle and you're like, hey, (laughs) where did everybody go? (laughs) We have some tuna to sell, and nobody wants to buy our tuna. What's going on here? Uh, we'll tell you about the one lone tuna boat, and maybe these are the only people in the world that didn't know what was going on with COVID-19, and now they know, and maybe we can help you get, you get some hands on that tuna. Also, the NFL, will they play this year? Uh, Governor Cuomo from New York City. Yeah, that New York City has come out and said, hey, I want to see my Giants play, but I want to see the Giants play in return without an audience, without the stands being full of you and me cheering on our NFL teams. And would that be a game that you'd be interested in watching? Speaking of the NFL, some new diversity rules. And how would you feel about these rules if you're an African-American and you were hired in the NFL because of some of these rules? We'll talk about that first. Let's talk about this. The University of Washington has an incredible endowment fund. It's one of the reasons why when I buy real estate, in fact, I bought some real estate close to the University of Washington. The reason I did that is because I knew even in a down cycle that universities are sitting on a lot of cash. Kids still need to go to school. And even in a down cycle, what do their parents say to them? Hey, you should go to school. Go get an education. So for that, they still need housing. So I said to myself, let's buy housing in the University of Washington area. What's interesting, though, is maybe these kids won't need housing because maybe they're not coming to school. Schools are trying to figure out all over the country right now, do we open? Do we have students on campus? Do we close at Thanksgiving, which a lot of them are saying they are going to do? Reason being, COVID is supposed to start coming back, storming back. They say in December, December. So a lot of these schools out there, Ron, have decided we're going to start late October. We'll be done by Thanksgiving. One of the reasons a lot of these schools are doing this, and just look at Ithaca, New York right now, uh, there are 31,000 people that live there. There are 29,000 students that support the two universities there. And they say, without having students on campus, without having students come to our restaurants and buy books and watch movies and be a part of housing here, they say, we will be in a lot of trouble and this city will go down. So Ron, it's kind of a hybrid right now. All over the country, schools right now are having to make a decision. I know public schools here in Seattle will have to make a decision. Are we going to have kids back in the classroom, University of Washington is going through that right now, aren't they? Well, I was thinking about this in a different way because there's two headline stories today in the Seattle Times. One is that UW Medicine is furloughing 1,500 staffers. So that's one headline. The other headline is that they are trying to figure out how do we keep uh, the UW Washington 
sports programs. And so I, I immediately thought of the endowment. And so I went over there uh, to check this out. The University of Washington is the 35th richest school in America. Their endowment is almost $3 billion. Wow. To give you some idea, uh, the top one is Harvard. They have a $38 billion endowment. University of Texas, the entire system is $30 billion. Yale and Stanford come in right under that at 29, 26, Princeton's 25 billion, MIT 16 billion. So that's just money that they have set aside. So then I thought, okay, well, maybe I'm wrong about this. What's the endowment even for? Because in my mind, it's like if you've been stockpiling, and you talked about this in episode 105, the, the cliche rainy day fund has always been around. At least I grew up with that. You grew up with that. If this isn't a rainy day, I don't know what is. So you have these fifth, well, let me just tell you the objective first. The secondary objective of the University of Washington Endowment Fund, this is off of their website, is to provide steady stream of income to support individual programs. So that is the stated, that's the, in paragraph three on the website, above, above the fold, right when you, you land on this splash page, you have 1,500 medical workers out of the 30,000 that have been working their, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm going to just say the word, usually you do that sound effect. They've been working their ass off to fight the COVID uh, situation. University of Washington has been leaned on worldwide for its data collection and for its infectious disease experts. And so why would you not take some endowment fund money, some endowment fund money, and pay these 1,500 staffers during this time, how in good conscience can the administration over there take these folks that have been putting their lives at risk to do health care, not just for our region, but for the entire world, and go, yeah, we need you to go away for eight to 10 weeks, uh, and we're not going to pay you hardly anything. I, I think that's inconscionable. Like th this, that, in my mind is what the endowment should be for, is to take that money. Now, we can get into whether or not the endowment should be used for paying uh, sports programs. That's kind of a different subset of this. But if you have an endowment, and that endowment is in the billions of dollars, clearly you could, roll, you could burn through billions of dollars pretty quickly if you're paying you know, thousands of people's salaries. But I don't know. That seems like the medical staff, at least, should be endowment worthy. What do you think? Yeah. No, I think all those points are great. And I don't know the levers that have to be pushed in order to make that happen. Let, let me ask you this question, though, because now we'll come back to some of the programs there. Uh, I looked at some of that. I think I looked at 22 different programs at the University of Washington a couple of years ago that didn't make any money. So like women's softball, as much as we love it, we love women's softball at the University of Washington. To watch these athletes play is incredible. And we have seen them play all the way to the national championship a number of years ago. Uh, but they don't make any money, right? Uh, women's basketball, they have a great basketball team there, but don't make any money. The golf team, pretty good golf team. Golf doesn't make any money. And we can go on and on. We can talk about track and everything else. There's two programs at the University of Washington that make money. It is men's football, makes a lot of money. Men's basketball, makes a lot of money. The rest of the programs are fed by those 
to programs within the program, right? Within the school. So, Ron, men's basketball, men's football, some say, especially college football, too big to fail. We have to find a way to play this year, damn it, uh, as long as you're cussing. I'm going to throw one in there, too. Uh, what are your thoughts on that as far as the safety of men's basketball and football? Because let's not forget, one of the first programs out there to fold its tents and say, we're going home is the NBA. Because they had one player that had COVID, and they're like, the rest of the season is canceled. No discussion. Wouldn't the same thing happen here if we got into the fall and the University of Washington was playing football? Or later on, you get into men's basketball and a student athlete has COVID. What's more important here, the health of these athletes or getting the programs back on that really make and churn billions of dollars nationwide? Uh, boy, you may, it, it, that's a complicated issue that we could probably take three or four hours to talk about. But Because uh, I think it depends on the sport. For instance, could the UW tennis team do singles matches pretty safely? I think you could. Could the wrestling program do matches? No. Could you do some swimming events? Probably. Could you do some track and field events? Yeah, maybe instead of having 10 people on the track, you would have six people on the track uh, where you're skipping a lane in between each one. So I think you could go through, you know, could a javelin person throw the javelin safely? Probably as safely as throwing a metal spear through the air is uh, football, basketball, baseball, where you're coming into contact with uh, other human beings. Probably not. But I guess my, my point was though, I think there's this fear or a hoarding mentality among the bean counters where it's like, we, we can't give away our, our $3 billion. Like would it, would the university of Washington crumble if it went from, $3 billion in its endowment to $2 billion in its endowment. Uh, this is a, uh, an event that is captured the entire world and it, we haven't seen anything like it in, in a, in a century. So why would we not spend a billion dollars to support the very people that are literally the university of Washington? University of Washington is the people that attend the University of Washington. Yeah, and you know it's what? Not the, it's, it's not the buildings of the university. It's the people. Without the people, you just got a, a, a cluster of buildings in Seattle. Yeah, and you, and you know what? This would become their greatest fundraiser ever. If the University of Washington came out and said, we have 1,500 workers, and they have worked their hair off, and we have this We're endowment. dipping into the endowment for the first time in, yeah. in ever. Yeah. And, and, and then all you would have to do is open the gates. And there is so, there's so many alumni here that would just come barnstorming to the rescue. In fact, all these schools, all these schools that uh, I looked at the, the California system, the Cal Poly system, they lost $337 million last quarter for doing the right thing and shutting their school down. And that's the biggest school system. Uh, in California, right? It's 500,000 students that it represents. So, and now they're going to go into the fall quarter and they're like, yeah, we're not going to school. And you have other schools that are making a decision. We got to go to school because if we don't uh, financially, we're just going to fall apart. The University of Washington doesn't seem like they're going to fall apart uh, anytime soon. And again, 
you, if, if you went public and said, we have 1500 healthcare workers, we got to pay, uh, you'd raise a lot of money that way. So, and this is from someone who has raised a lot of money over the years. That would be a way to do it. He's Ron. I'm Don. It's episode 106. You guys don't forget everything at Ron We are licensed brokers at Windermere, Ron at Windermere.com, Don O'Neill at Windermere.com. We'll see you in one minute on the other side of this. Sign up for the nation news at ronandonradio.com. All right, you guys, welcome back. It's episode number 106 of the Ron and Don Show. Don't forget we're licensed brokers at Windermere. Real quick, 30 seconds on this. Last night, uh, Ron, we went mutual. uh, And it was pretty exciting to go mutual in the middle of a pandemic uh, for our clients, Carol and Ed, last night. We sat with them. This is when we still could do a face-to-face sit-down. We did a Ron and Don sit-down in their kitchen. And then we decided we were going to bring their home to market up in Edmonds. We did that. And uh, we sold that home. We closed on that home last night. And I can't put my finger on it, but it it was emotional for all of us, wasn't it? Absolutely. Like, this is... um, Because it's not... It's about the house, but it's not really about the house. It's about a life inflection point that we all imagine and we think about, but you don't really know what it's going to be like until you're there. Like for me, I, I've said, how, how many years have I said before I, uh, you know, you throw dirt on me and give my eulogy yeah. uh, and you'll probably make it more about you than about me, but that's a different story for a different day. Uh, oh. I want to live. As it should be. <laughs> right. I want to live in Barcelona for at least like three to six months. I would love that for you. I, and so that's what I've all, I've said that for a year, ever since I, I went want- to Barcelona. I want you to now through this COVID, I want you to do that more than ever. I and really so do. if I if to make that happen is probably gonna entail selling some real estate. Like I don't have enough money to just be like, I'm keeping my current situation and I'm just gonna travel Europe for three years. So people like people have versions of this. I'm gonna move to California. I'm gonna move to Arizona. I'm gonna yeah. be closer to my grandchildren. And so in order to do that. You have to sell something to, to make that's a big deal going through boxes of like, oh my God, here's the report cards of my child from grade school. I, I forgot I even kept these. And look at, look at this box of photographs from when we got married. And you start going, it's like, are we throwing this away? Or do we keep this? Um, you have your attic packed and the garage packed. And it's like the, the prospect of getting all that stuff together consolidated and getting moving out of this house you've been in for a long time to go toward your dream is a huge undertaking, not just financially, but emotionally. So to, to navigate that ship through the channel, so to speak, is just really impressive. And so when you finally do it and you get the contract in front of someone to sign, they're signing something that means a lot to them. Yeah. So that's very rewarding. Yeah. And Carol and Ed have listened to us on the radio for years. So to be able to finally sit with them and eat some of her sourdough, to hear him play the piano, to meet their son, James, to be a part of the ultimate move, which is to go to Arizona. Cause that's, that's, that's their dream location. Uh, think about this, you guys, as we kind of go through the pandemic, are you living where you want to live? Are you living where you want to die? 
because <laughs> that's going to happen to all of us at some point. And if you're not, uh, I like what Diane Terry says in her office. She says, you know, it's not downsizing, it's right sizing. Are you in the right size home, in the right place, in the right neighborhood? Uh, anyway, reach out to us. And some people might be in peril right now, and you're just wondering, hey, I'm cash poor, I'm house rich. <laughs> What do I do? Reach out. Ron at windermere.com, Don O'Neill at Windermere, everything at ronanddon.com. And we'll do a virtual sit down with you, just like we did with Carol and Ed. And I'll send you some sourdough. Maybe Carol will make some for us. So, hey, uh, let's talk about uh, this real quick. Let's talk about flying. And, Ron, I'm really interested in knowing uh, Southwest Airlines came out today and they said, even though we are 90% off from where we were last year. We're not 95% off like we thought we were going to be when it comes to flying. They said there's more people now that are making reservations than canceling reservations. Um, and one of my Airbnbs, because uh, all my reservations for Airbnbs were canceled, uh, it Somebody actually booked an Airbnb in state the other day because they're like, you know, I'm, I'm not going to get on a plane. I'm not going to fly. So what I'm going to do is I'm just going to vacation in state. We're hearing more and more of that. Uh, we also are hearing for airline executives. They feel like one major airline will go down here. Uh, United has a new CEO who said he's going to get United through this time and they're going to they're going to figure these things out. And some people think some of the carriers are too big to fail. As you kind of look into your crystal ball, you love to travel. You just talked about going to Barcelona. When does Ron Upshaw go, you know what? Fares are pretty cheap right now. I can wear a mask for 10 hours. I'm going to get on a plane and I'm going to Beijing. I've actually had this exact conversation. This is, uh, I, I, I have not announced this publicly and I am in, in denial in a way. This is a landmark birthday for me. I'm turning 50 this year. Even though in my head I'm still 34, like yeah. I literally think of myself as a 34-year-old, wow. my brother who is 10 years older than me. Also, he's having a landmark, uh, a landmark birthday uh, this week, and so for years we have been planning a landmark birthday brother trip to Italy. We already have our tickets bought for the end of this summer to Italy. Um, we are saying we've had conversations of saying uh let's wait till the last minute before we cancel the united states government uh and their travel guidelines with the department of state have a level four warning which is the highest level you can get uh of traveling to italy saying don't travel to italy our tickets are to milan and um we have talked about getting really good masks and still going and i'm like we would probably get the best hospitality we've ever had in our life. We would, the, we would be the only two guys there. And we're taking his wife. Uh, and he's I like, I that. know. So like, we probably get to go to the best pizzerias and the best yeah. restaurants. And the, so um, I'm ready to go. Like, I oh, really, I would absolutely do it. Like I'm, I got uh, hand sanitizer and gloves and a mask. Um, you, here's the model that I always use, and I, um, uh, granted, this could be entirely wrong. Do you remember when the Jack in the Box in Kirkland had the E. coli situation and some people uh, unfortunately passed away? This is probably 20, 
over 20 years ago, I'd imagine. Yeah, so I know right where it is. I ride my bike by there all the time. It's not a jack-in-the-box anymore. It's in Juanita, and for years, it that particular store kept changing hands, and I don't know what it is today, but it, it, it's been because no one would go there anymore. So it became, there's been different variations of, of that Jack in the box. But Bonita, uh, close to Holmes point road, the cleanest restaurant in America after that scare was that Jack in the box. So if you were going to eat in a restaurant, there was not a cleaner place anywhere. And so this is my theory. I have the Jack in the box theory of travel. The cleanest an airplane is ever going to be is right now. The cleanest an Airbnb is ever going to be is right now. And the most sanitary and the most conscientious that human beings are ever going to be in our lifetime is right now. So traveling, if you pay attention to all that, I think I still want to do it. I'm hoping that my brother and I, for uh, my landmark birthday and his landmark birthday, will be in Italy, even if it's wearing a mask even if we have to wear latex gloves, you're still in Italy. Yeah. And so that's, that's our plan. Uh, if we're forced to cancel at the last minute, we will. But um, we've been planning this for years. I think that we're going to give it a run still. I, w- I would totally do that. I, I have some masks that I wear uh, when I demo. I have two of them. They're demo masks. Uh, you have to replace the filters in them, but uh, I can loan those to you and your your brother if you'd like to wear. Them. I was just researching high end masks last night. They're about eighty bucks. Yeah, uh, but you, the, what you just said—they have removable uh, filters inside, and they have a, a medical grade seal on them. And I was like, "Hey, all right, I guess we, you know, if we had to wear that, I, I would do it." I've seen people in the store wear those and then it triggers something to me. And I'm like, somebody get me a sledgehammer. I want to start hitting stuff. (laughs) What about you? Would you get on a plane and go to New Mexico or go to California? You know what? Not right now. I think just because of my 10 year old and we really don't know what COVID does with kids. And I think it's one of the reasons why educators around the country are trying to figure out, yeah, we can send kids back to school, but then we saw 153 cases of COVID uh, with children in New York city. We saw a number of children die. And they are just trying to figure out this disease because it keeps revealing itself in different dark ways. Um, So, but so far, it seems like worldwide that kids have been spared. I am very grateful that I was on a plane. I got to go to Maui with our friend Joe. We got to swim with the turtles. And that was, uh, you know, basically we got off the plane and then then COVID became a reality. So I'm very, very grateful uh, that we got to take that trip to Maui this year. Joe was telling me the other day, he has a house on, on Maui. He said, typically the islands are on 30,000 people. And he owns a restaurant there too. That's been shuttered. Uh, my friend, uh, Joe is one of my partners here. He said 30,000 people go in and out of Hawaii, Maui, uh, all the different islands uh, every day. He said, it's down to a hundred people. Whoa. A hundred people. <laughs> that's a bit of a dip. Isn't that incredible? Yeah, 100 people. Hey, uh, we come back. Let's talk about the NFL a little bit. Let's talk about diversity. And let's talk about the president who, uh, (laughs) before we get out of here, we just have to mention what he is doing. He's not wearing a mask to protect himself, but the age of 73, he's doing something else. Because people believe if he got COVID, 
he is considered to be because his body, his BMI is over 30%. Uh, they say that he is morbidly obese. No, it's only 239 pounds, Don. We, everybody knows that. And he would be a candidate uh, if he got COVID. He might be in a lot of trouble. So let's talk about that. He's Ron. I'm Don. Episode 106. You're listening to the Ron and Don Show only on the Ron and Don Radio Network. about retirement? What are you going to do with the house? Let's do a Ron and Don sit down. Email ron at windermere.com. All right, you guys, let's get after it. Some headlines now on the Ron and Don show. Ron, I'm throw some headlines your way. Just want to get your reaction. Uh, some tuna fishermen, they went out tuna fishing, turned off their radios or TVs. They weren't watching uh, Coop Anderson, who, by the way, just had a baby. Congratulations. Oh, congratulations to, to Coop. Yeah, they come on home and they're like, hey, where did everybody go? They didn't know about COVID-19, and they're having a hard time selling their tuna right now, right? Yeah, it's called the St. Jude, uh, and it's out of Anacortes. They went on a, they're out to sea for six months so that we can have the best tuna in the world. So, they, I mean, they were actually, obviously aware that it was happening, but they have their fleet. I mean, their boat is full of fresh tuna. They came back. All of their commercial clients are gone. They can't mm. sell this stuff. So right now, I'm going to do this if because uh, I did it with Anthony's. I went to Anthony's uh, terminal and I bought some uh, salmon and I bought some scallops. It was delicious. So right now you can get sushi grade tuna at $3 a pound at the Fisherman's Terminal in Ballard Memorial Day weekend. Wow. So let, quick tip here and then we'll move on to the next story. This is not Whole Foods. You don't roll up and say, I'd like a pound and a half of uh, $4.50. They're going to have a fish cut up. It's going to be flash frozen. It's going to be in plastic. You don't get to say that you want 1.3 pounds. They're going to hand you a fish that's going to be (laughs) bigger than you thought it was going to be, and you're going to pay for the whole amount. That's how it works when you're at the – there's no haggling. They're not butchers. They're just going to give you a fish. And so it might be – you might be calling up your friend – uh, and saying, hey, you want half a tuna? Because I just got 10 pounds of tuna. Wow. Um, but it'll be amazing quality tuna. So um, I'm going to go do this uh, over the weekend. You should do it too. You nice. stand in line. You ask for your tuna. They hand you a tuna. You pay for the tuna. That's it. That's the game. Uh, we're not you know, in, in some high-end market where you get to choose. Hydrochloroquine, hydrochloroquine, uh, that is a medication the president is taking right now. He's no longer, he's never worn a mask. Uh, we know that Mike Pence walked through the Mayo Clinic a couple of weeks ago. He got throttled on social media. People thought that Mike Pence was being brave. Now COVID-19 has visited the White House, so everybody's masked up, except for the president. And one reason may be, Ron, he's already on medication. He's going to be fine. Uh, where do you even start? I don't know if I can hit this quickly. This is a malaria drug. The president doesn't have malaria. He loves conspiracy theories. This was a thing that started online in these conspiracy theory forums that this drug in combination with another drug was a preventative that we already have antivirals. He's not taking an antiviral. He's taking this um, anti-malarial drug or malaria drug and um, he's taking that in a zinc supplement. So 
The side effects of this for people in risk categories is death. So I just think this is a ridiculous idea. I think that it's very unwise in the braggadocious manner in which he stated this to a press conference, I think is reckless at best. What do you think? Well, I think the danger is here. He may not be taking it because he'll say he's doing something that he's not. And it's one of the reasons why I have great compassion for, I was out in a park yesterday with my dog and we we're just exercising. I have great compassion for people that have a mask on and don't have a mask on because they've been told to have a mask on and don't have a mask on. Uh, we have been told the exact opposite here, the whole way by the federal government. And a lot of it is because of him. I don't beat him up a lot, but he has done a horrible job being the messenger here, keeping people safe, being a comforter in chief. You don't pick fights during a pandemic. You collaborate. And he's, he hasn't done any of those things. So he's running for office. That's why he doesn't wear a mask. He doesn't want to look weak. Uh, there are a lot of people uh, that are cheering him on, and he's just trying to appeal to his base. What, what the danger is, people are going to go out, they're going to buy this drug, they already are, and they're going to die as a result of it. So uh, finally, uh, the NFL, um, Governor Cuomo says he wants to see the Giants play this year. Doesn't want anybody in the stands, but he wants to see the Giants play. The NFL really is a made-for-TV game. It's fun in the stadium. If you've been, you know. But when you go to a Seahawks game, how much do you really see? In fact, you spend a lot more time, at least I do, because my eyesight's not phenomenal. Uh, I spend a lot of time looking at the big screen. More time than I do looking at the field. I love the energy of it. But does the energy dissipate when the crowds aren't there? Uh, do the teams play as well? I think it'll be very interesting. So maybe we'll see some football. And, Ron, also, maybe we'll see some African-American coaches because they're kind of tuning up the Rooney rule. Boy, this one is interesting. It's not – they're voting on it. So for, if you're not an NFL fan, uh, the NFL has a rule called the Rooney rule. This goes back probably 30 years now or at least 20 years where if there's a coaching vacancy, you are required to interview at least one minority candidate. So that rule has been around for a long time. Uh, it, and so many times it's, it's mere tokenism. You bring in someone that's an assistant somewhere, you talk to them with no intention of hiring that coach. And so now they're trying to tweak that a little bit. Here's the proposal they've came up with. And uh, again, if 24 out of the 32 owners vote for this, this is what it would be. If a team hires a general manager of color, in the next year's draft, they would move up 10 spots in the third round to draft a player. If they hire a head coach of color, you get six additional draft picks. And if you hire a quarterback coach of color, you get an additional fourth-round compensatory pick. Um, on its face, I think this is incredibly patronizing. I, I think it's tokenism taken up another notch. I just uh, heard a study about diversity that I found really interesting. When you make it just one person, so when you say, Don, you're an NFL owner, you have to interview one person of color. When you do that, it, it, it backfires on you. It's tokenism. It doesn't really work. Uh, you feel like your arm is twisted. 
but and they did this with women board members when they when they had this situation where you had to have one female on a board it was totally tokenism when they said you have to have 30 percent women when you change it from one to 30 percent the all the tokenism went away because now you had to interview at least 30 percent women so now it wasn't like all of these candidates in the, oh, what do we think about the woman? Or what do we think about the black guy? Uh, when 30% of the candidates are, are people of color or 30% of the candidates are women, now that bias goes away because you're just trying to pick the best candidates. And so if the NFL would actually pull their head out of the sand, I wanted to use a different word there, and look at what the actual science is behind how to do this right, the rule shouldn't be giving people rewards. It should just be like when you're high, a third of the coaches in the NFL need to be black, head coaches. When you're interviewing, a third of the candidates you look at need to be people of color. When you do that, or half, because it's such a small pool, um, if you're interviewing 10 people, five of them need to be people of color. Now the bias goes away because you'll just go, who's the best candidate? Um, I think this is horrible. I think rewarding people with draft picks. So if I'm the, the Chicago Bears and I had a horrible season, I'm going to go out and like as a token, I'm going to hire a black head coach so I can get more picks in next year's draft. That is, it's horrible. Yeah. I, I think about this, uh, a couple examples. When I go to Discovery Park, it's an old fort, Fort Lawton, and there were white soldiers out there. They're African-American soldiers. There's a riot out there, actually. Um, and there are also POWs, Italian soldiers, German soldiers. The POWs out there were actually treated better than the black soldiers were. Uh, and it was interesting because when you look at the birth of the Tuskegee Airmen, and some of those airmen were out at Fort Lawton here, the reason why we have the Tuskegee Airmen in World War II is because we had lost so many pilots. In fact, a lot of the planes, like the B-29 that was created, they were so hard to fly, many of them would crash on their way to being in theater with a pilot inside who was flying the plane and the intention of the plane was to go to war. It never made it to war. Tens of thousands of planes dove into the ocean uh, as a result of that. Then they looked around and said, we got a shortage of white pilots maybe we let the black guys fly these planes, right? Because before that, no Sherman tanks. Now they're too stupid. They can't fly a plane. Uh-uh. Tuskegee Airmen never, never, they were escorters. They never lost a plane that they were escorted, ever. And there's not one other group of pilots that can say that during World War II. I think about the SEC. I read a book about uh, football in the SEC. If you don't know the SEC, if you hear about blue trip, five-star players, most of them are from places like Louisiana, Mississippi, Florida, Texas. It's a hotbed of football, right? What's interesting is when you look at the Jim Crow era or even beyond that, you look in the 60s, even the 70s, if you're a black player and you wanted to play quarterback, you couldn't. If you're a great quarterback in high school, when you got the college level, they thought you're too stupid. So they would convert you to the defense and a cornerback, not a quarterback. Guy by the name of uh, Warren Moon played pretty good football in the United States, and then he wanted to play in the NFL, and everyone said no. Actually, the University of Washington gave him a shot. Don James gave him a shot to play college quarterback. That was very unusual when Warren played. And then he had to go up for almost a decade and play football in Canada because everybody thought he was too stupid to play in the States. 
And then a team, an upstart team, by the name of the Houston Oilers said, you know what, we'll give that guy a shot. So they did. And that opened the doors for guys like Russell Wilson that are playing quarterback today. In the SEC, they didn't have a quarterback until 1972, a black quarterback. Incredible. You have to believe if most of the players today are African-American, I bet within that, that's 70% in the NFL that are African-American, I bet there's some pretty good coaches in there. They've played the game their whole lives. I bet there's some pretty good GMs in there. They've played the game their whole lives. They've been around the game their whole lives. I think there's some, probably some pretty good owners in there. But you have a lot of white guy billionaires that never want to give up those shares. Hey, you guys, thanks for stopping by. Episode 106 of the Ron and Don Show. We really appreciate you. And it uh, looks like we'll be social distancing for a while. So Ron and I have ordered some equipment to make sure that this podcast doesn't sound like we're social distancing. Thanks for putting up with that. We appreciate it. Do we know how to use it? Absolutely not. <laughs> so it could get worse before it gets better. Uh, don't forget, we are licensed brokers at Windermere. We're here to help you. Reach out to us, ron at windermere.com, Don O'Neill at windermere.com. The thing that really ticks me off is when people say, well, I have a property that you guys probably wouldn't care about. It's a $200,000 condo in Puyallup. You know what? We just sold that $200,000 condo in Puyallup. If it's important to you, it's important to us. I don't care where you are. If you need our help, reach out. Ron Upshaw at windermere.com. Don O'Neill at windermere.com. Everything at ronanddon.com, and we'll do a virtual sit-down together. I am not licensed in Idaho. There you go. Hey, you guys, keep your head up. Keep your shoulders back. We'll see you this week for episode 107. How about that? The Ron and Don Show, only on the Ron and Don Radio Network. Keep your head up and your shoulders back, and we'll see you next time on the Ron and Don Radio Network.